0: So we're in the book of Isaiah, if you've been with us, um, and here in Isaiah, what we find is that God is speaking uh, to people who are really in that feeling that starting to feel that same sense of you know disappointment and regret about some of the the things that they've done in their life, where they are as as God's people, and. If you remember, historically, God's people at this point have been, although they were once one people, they've been split up. And so up here in the north, you've got the northern kingdom, right? Also called Israel. Northern kingdom is also called Israel. And in the southern kingdom, you've got Judah. Uh, And both of these kingdoms, both of these siblings, if we could put it that way, are just a mess. Uh, Assyria, who is kind of like a playground bully, you know, beating up on nerds and and skinny people kind of like me, um, Assyria has come on the scene and, and just started wrecking people's lives and just kind of creating havoc and, and invading countries. And despite the fact that both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, as we saw in Isaiah 6, had a dad who was stronger than Assyria, despite the fact that they had a dad who was in control, they started freaking out. Uh, and they did their best to try to strategize and figure out a plan. And essentially, their plan was this: uh, Let me find a bully who's bigger than Assyria. Let me find a, a bully who's even bigger and get them on my side, and then things will be okay. And of course, uh, that's not going to fly with Dad. Um, so he steps in uh, to lovingly, you know, dish out some discipline. And so. Two weeks ago, I think, two, two, two or three weeks ago, Pastor Taylor went through uh, Isaiah 7 through 9. And what Isaiah 7 through 9 is, are God's words to the southern kingdom. Southern kingdoms, you know, just like a first-time offender. Nothing too serious. You're going to put them in time out for a few years in exile until you know, God's, God's ready, and, and they've, they've, they've learned to trust God. And so, uh, And in Isaiah 9, you see the promise of Emmanuel, God with us, when God will make things right. Um, So in Isaiah 7 through 9, God speaks to the southern kingdom. And now at at the end of Isaiah chapter 9, God speaks to the northern kingdom, uh, also called Israel. Uh, And one thing you need to know about the northern kingdom, the people that Isaiah is prophesying to in this text, is that they're repeat offenders. They're kind of like that rebellious child, if you can put it that way. And this isn't the first time that they've gotten in trouble uh, and so, a timeout, a regular timeout, you know, they've gone through that and, and, uh, and they still won't trust God. And so, what we see here is specifically that, is that God calls out their pride. If you uh, look down at verse 8, it says, In pride, in pride, and in an arrogance of heart, they said, The bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The, the sycamores have been cut down, but we'll put cedars in their place. And so, it's just a little bit of background: I, I, uh, dressed stones and cedar are essentially just better versions of uh, what is it? Brick and sycamore, right? Just better versions. Uh, and so, what what the Northern Kingdom of Israel is saying here. Uh, is that they're kind of going to kind of one up themselves? They're going to pull them up by their bootstraps, and it's so it's, it's almost as if you know they have a, They're like teenagers nowadays, or kids nowadays, and they've got iPhones, and smartphones, and Dad, Dad comes along, or Mom comes along, and says, uh, you know, something's going on. We need to we need a, we need to work on this, and so I'm going to take away your iPhone, iPhone five, and then you know. Northern Kingdom, being the kind of rebellious child that it is, goes, fine, I'll get an iPhone 6. And, and so, so you see, their, their pride is, is this kind of boasting and saying, you know, yeah, we've gone through some tough times. Yeah, we've gone through things that are difficult, but we'll do better. In fact, we'll do even better than we were before. Uh, and I, I think if, what's in, if you think about it, maybe you're not really like that, you know when you look at your life, you don't really see a lot of pride because you're not going around bragging and saying that you're, you're the best at all that. And, uh, but what's interesting is that God goes on to say a little bit more about their pride. Uh, in verse 13, if we look down, it says, they did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. And I, I think this is really interesting because when it comes to diagnosing our pride. It's, it's not simply just what we think about ourselves, right? When it comes, like for example, for me, you know, I'm not going to go around bragging, but the truth is that when it, when it comes down to it, uh, a lot of times I'm still very focused on myself. And so pride is not simply what we think about ourselves, but what we see in this text is that pride doesn't trust. Pride doesn't trust God. Uh, and that more than seeing pride in what we think of ourselves, pride shows up in what we think about God. It shows up in, in, in the hard times and whether or not we are willing to trust him. And that's what's happening to Israel here is that pain is invading their life and hard times are coming. Um, and in, it's in the midst of this pain that their pride is exposed. And when we begin to ask the question, you know, in those hard times, where, like, where am I? Where's God in this? What is my first response in these times? Is it, is it like Israel to strategize? To say, if only I had budgeted correctly, or if only I had uh, said this in the right way, or if only I had gotten this job, or if only, if, if only I had said the right prayers, or been a, been a better Christian, then life wouldn't be so tough. What is our first response in these painful seasons of life. Um, I think when it boils down to it, uh, pride just doesn't want to be saved, doesn't want any help. Um, we don't want to be saved. Uh, so, so that's the diagnosis. You see that pride doesn't trust God. And as, as we continue on, uh, it, this passage is super cool because it's really split up into four sections of a Four stanzas of a poem, and we see God's response in all these four repeating sections. Uh, It's in verse 12, verse 17, verse 21, and again in chapter 10, verse 4. Uh, Here's what it says. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Or well, maybe you're like me, and this makes you kind of this kind of text and these kinds of passages in the Bible make you super uncomfortable. It's just like, oh, I know I'm supposed to to like it, but I just don't like it. I don't want to eat it. Uh, it just makes it just. I don't know. It just feels like there's something in your chest, you know, as you hear this kind of thing about how God responds to pride. Uh, And I think really the question that that a lot of us are probably asking right now as we're reading this passage is that, is why is God so angry about this? Why is he so just mad about, you know, it's just like, yeah, I've got, I'm not perfect. Uh, Yeah, I've got pride, but like, what is the big deal, God? Why are you so mad? Isn't he making a mountain out of a molehill? I think uh, one thing that's interesting about social media is that like a lot of the old sayings have kind of transformed over the years, and so if, you know, back in the day, it was super popular to say like, "Oh, everybody's a critic; everybody's got their opinion on something." Uh, well, nowadays, with you know, with increased communication and social media and uh, things like Buzzfeed and Google News or whatever, I can't believe I just grouped those together. But it not, with with things like that, it, it's like everybody, if they want to have an issue to care about you can have your issue. Like, you can be an activist. Everybody's an activist. You can be an activist. You can be an activist. You can have your issue. You can care about ISIS. You could care about essential oils. You could care about whatever you want. Uh, everyone can have their issue. And so when it comes to God being angry, you know, it, for some things, it kind of makes sense, right? Like, I get that God is angry about violence in our city. I, I, I get that God is angry about abuse. I get that he's angry about uh, uh, social inequality, and I get that he's angry about human trafficking. I I get it, right? After all, doesn't, as we've been in Isaiah, doesn't Isaiah say over and over again that God is a God of justice and righteousness? Right? Here's here's an interesting fact for you. Eighteen times in the book of Isaiah, the word pair justice and righteousness are scattered throughout the book, 18 times to describe God. And they're all in key places. And so it makes sense that God is a God of justice and righteousness. He he cares for the widows. He cares for the poor and the oppressed and the vulnerable. And and, in Isaiah 6, he's like, he's on the throne. Like you can't get more righteous than that, right? and he's got a robe, and it's filling the room, and it makes sense that God cares about justice and righteousness, but why does, he, why does he care about my pride? I think it's by God's grace that he really gives us an answer, although it's not uh, the easiest answer but to swallow, but it is an answer that we need to hear. And the answer is this, that pride matters to God because pride is a matter of justice and righteousness. And so I'll give you three reasons. We see three reasons really in the remaining three sections of this passage. So in the first section in verses 13 to 17, we see that pride is never private. Pride is never private. So if you've, uh, I mean, this, this one's kind of straightforward, but uh, pride affects other people. And I, I think pride, with something like pride, we can think like, well, it's something that, you know, it's just something I deal with. Yeah, it comes out at times, but I can sweep it under the rug uh, it's, it's just kind of innocuous. Um, and I, the biggest example that we, know, we can think of and that we see here in this passage is when we have proud leadership, right? Maybe you're, you work a nine-to-five job and you've got a supervisor who is just like super lazy. They're just lazy. And, and you've got to pick up all the slack. You and your coworkers have to pick up the slack. Um, and, and you're the one that's affected because of their pride, uh, or maybe, you know, a lot of you have probably learned this the hard way. It goes all the way down to our families. Uh, when our, our parents are proud, or, or, or even when our, when our pastors are proud. We can, we can be the ones that suffer because of pride. It's not something that can really just be swept out of the rug, out of sight, out of mind. It says in verse 16 and 17, For those who guide this people speaking of Israel's leaders, of course, those who guide this people, have been leading them astray. And those who are guided by them are swallowed up. And so it's the pride of Israel's leader, leaders that eventually became Israel's pride. And it wasn't something that was just contained, but it's, it affected other people. And Isaiah even goes on to say that the corruption of pride went so far down from the top that even the most innocent and the most vulnerable people in their country in their nation had become corrupted and deserving of judgment. Pride is never private. Pride is a matter of justice and righteousness because pride consumes. Verses 18 to 21 in the next section. Pride consumes. Um, in in the wake of pride and, and trying to live life in our own strength, there's always somebody who's going to pay a price. Um, and Again, an interesting thing about Isaiah is that he's like a prophet. And so it's like a mix of a poet and a lawyer, kind of like a hip-hop artist. And he's using this wordplay to show us something. And, and the, the, the imagery that he uses to describe pride is not like some evil mastermind, right? He's not like mini-me sitting in a, chair, a swivel chair, just like cackling about trying to figure out ways to destroy your relationships. The picture here is that pride is like a raging fire. Indiscriminately burning and consuming things. It, it doesn't matter if if you're uh, if you're just the lowest on the totem pole, or you know you're you're constantly being uh, tempted. It doesn't matter if if your life is a mess and it's like briars and thorns, or if your life is just awesome. You know it's flourishing, and and, uh, and you're just like a thicket of trees is what Isaiah says. Pride consumes, and in, verses, in verses 20 and 21, what's interesting is that Isaiah tells us that pride doesn't even discriminate among family. And uh, I kind of grew up in the family where, to be totally honest, uh, Christmas was was just generally a lot more drama, <laughs> a lot more drama than joy. Um, and uh, when I became a Christian in high school, uh, it, by God's grace, a lot of my relationships changed. You know, My friendships changed. The way I viewed women changed. Uh, even the way I viewed authority changed. But, but for some reason, and maybe this is true for you, but when I go back to see my parents, it's like, I'd regress like 30 years. And I'm not even 30 years old. And, and, so, <laughs> and it's just, I would blow up over the stupidest things. This, and I, I have one example, actually, from Thanksgiving where it's, it's terrible but... Uh, I went back to see my mom and uh, she, in a graciousness of her heart, you know, always being a parent, wanted to buy me some shoes. Uh, and, and in my pride, it, for some reason, I just like, couldn't get over the fact that like, she wanted to buy me shoes without asking me what I wanted. And I was just like, it just turned into a huge argument because I made, made this little thing into a huge thing. And I was thinking about my dignity instead of, being appreciative, um, despite, and and the thing is, like, out of all the people that I that that I know, and out of all the people that I've seen gone through things, she should have been the last person to be affected by my pride. But in fact, she was the f- one of the first. Um, and the truth is that pride cons- it doesn't discriminate. It consumes. It it, it consumes families. And ma- and uh, if you're married, you you know how pride affects your marriage. It affects friendships and. According to Paul in Galatians 5.15, pride even affects our churches. Our churches, right? That's, that's why Paul says in Galatians 5.15, be care, if, you bite and, if you bite and devour one another, be careful that you do not become consumed by one another, but rather, in love through love, serve one another. Pride can affect our church. And at the top, the final form of pride, pride is oppressive, verses 1 to 4. Pride is oppressive. So having said all these things to the northern kingdom, uh, you know, the rebellious child, uh, uh, Isaiah gives this little bit back to the southern kingdom. This little, in chapters, chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, this little bit is to the southern kingdom. Um, and what Isaiah says, essentially, is that given the fact that pride is so poisonous He's saying to the southern kingdom that the very injustices that you are seeing in your country, that you are seeing in your day-to-day, these injustices are because of your pride. They're because of your pride and your self-sufficiency. And and, and you aren't really any, any better than your rebellious brother, right? The world is broken not simply because we need better presidents and we need better laws and we need better... Uh, uh, capitalism sucks or whatever it is Uh, the reason the world is broken is because we've tried to live a life independent of God in our pride even in in our brokenness so often we won't ask for help and if you've read the New Testament which I encourage you to do so if you're just checking out this Christianity thing or uh, it's your first time here the New Testament is where it's at Uh, but I, I this shouldn't surprise you if you've read it, because after all, doesn't Jesus say, "Help me out here." Doesn't Jesus say that uh, it's that we act and that we speak out of the abundance of our our heart? Yes, we we act and speak out of the abundance of our heart. What we love, what we hope, what we want, affects what we do. It's it's why the two greatest commandments are not simply just to love your neighbor as yourself, pay your taxes, you know, be a a decent person, but it's also to love your God with all your heart and strength and soul and mind. Pride is a matter of of justice and righteousness, and that's why Isaiah writes, for all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. So maybe now you're starting to, to really taste that that disappointment, that regret about pride. Uh, and maybe you've already tasted it and uh, you can't even have a, you know, a normal dinner anymore. It's just so awkward. Uh, you can't even be in the same room with, this part, with somebody. Um, and maybe it wasn't until one or two years down the road, but things are just not the same. Well, church, I want you to know this, this very important fact, which is that God did not... Write this to make you feel bad. Not just to make you feel bad, I should say. Uh, he didn't write this just to make you feel bad. You know, just, to, just for you to focus even more on yourself. Or if you're like me, you're just, you know, your pride looks like self-pity. So you're just like thinking like, oh, I'm just such a terrible person. I got to try harder to be humble. I just got to try harder to trust God and then pray more and then do this and then do that. And, and then suddenly we've got a religion just like every other religion where all we do is, is set up a standard that we, can, that we need to attain to, which, which are really just unfinished songs, right? What we have here, this refrain, for, for, for God's anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still, is an unfinished song, an unfinished refrain, just like every other religion, which leaves us under the burden of something to do but never provides us a way out outside of ourselves. And so God did this not to make us focus on ourselves or just to feel bad, but to point us somewhere else, right? To make us hungry, to make us long for a real comfort, to long for that new heart, for that new era and that new social order where God is on the throne. The, it's the pain of pride that points us to God's comfort. And so this refrain that we see four times is meant to anticipate another future where God's anger is turned away. It's meant to anticipate another future where God's hand is not stretched out and and we have to recoil back in fear, but instead God's hand is stretched out like a shepherd to gather his people from, from wandering it's like a father coming in to bring, bring a child in close. It's why it makes us long for Isaiah chapter 10, verse 25, which I'm giving you a sneak peek of next week's. It makes us long for Isaiah chapter 10, verse 25, where it says, for in a very little while, in a very little while, my fury will come to an end. It makes us long for the day when we can sing, as, as Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah chapter 12, where we can sing, I will give thanks to you. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. You see, this is the other half of the story, uh, of, of the incomplete story, the other half of the song, which is the gospel uh, that on the cross, God's anger, which was out towards us, was turned away and put on his son, the only person who was ever truly humble, right? Never had a, never had a, had a bone of self, selfish conceit in him. Never had a bone of wrongdoing. He, he humbled himself even, even to the point of death on the cross. He, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He, he took the form of a servant, for people who hated him. And it was on him that God turned his anger towards, not on us. And so it was Jesus that drank that painful, bitter cup of our suffering. So that what we face isn't anger, it's not that disappointment, it's not that regret. We, we face comfort forever, joy. Uh, and, and this pain, the pain of maybe what you felt as you've heard these things about your pride in your heart is not meant to make, simply make you feel bad, but to point you to the gospel. And when we see what, what, what Christ has done for us, then we're free. God, God breaks our pride because he shows us that what we had been trusting in in the first place is never going to be enough, right? It's never going to be enough to satisfy you, to bring you hope and joy and comfort. You need to find it somewhere else, and God has given it to you for free. And one of the most amazing things is that he frees us, I think, from fear. When it comes to, you know, the reality is that, when, I'm sure if you're, if you're a Christian, you know that been a, there are a lot of things in the Christian life that are really hard, sometimes very painful, uh, and we become af- so afraid of those things. We become afraid of confession. We become, become afraid of real community. We can become afraid of repentance, that one, that one little thorn in your side that nobody else knows about. We can become so afraid of them because we don't know what the future holds beyond the pain. We don't know what the future holds beyond, uh, beyond, beyond the guilt of, I know that something is wrong but because of the gospel, we are freed from that fear so that that the fear of our confession is gone, the fear of, of, of reconciliation, gone, the fear of community, gone, the fear of God is gone because God's anger has been turned away so that even in the consequences of our sin, even in the pain, God is for us. And most of all, I think that The gospel reminds us that even in moments like this where it feels like God is tearing down the bricks of our house and he's cutting down the sycamores of our life, that God is still for us. That God is still for you. And that it's through this affliction that God weans us off of what we think we can do by ourselves and he shows us a better way. He shows us a better way. And some of us, some of us have been stuck so long, you know, in, in that in, the, in this cycle, in this pit that we're afraid of trusting God with this part of our life, right? We're afraid of what the future looks like with our marriage, if we have that that conversation that we've been we we just don't want to have. Or or maybe that that uh that, that secret sin that you've just been struggling with and you've been struggling with, and you're just kinda content with out of out of sight, out of mind. We're afraid to trust God. We're afraid of what's in, in, on the other side of the wall. We're afraid of what the future holds. But Isaiah, God bless him, <laughs> says there's a better way. That if we're in Christ, if, we've, if we trust him, then there's a, there's, there is a 100% guarantee that our pain will turn to comfort as we turn to God. The most bitter and painful and regretful experiences are actually given to make, a, make God sweeter to us. After all, as we'll as we see and we'll see in Isaiah, God's anger is just for a little while. The pain that we experience in Christian life is just for a little while. But God's love is forever. It's forever. And so uh, I do want to say an obligatory word before we end uh, about the new year. It is December 27th. And uh, New Year is coming up, so Happy New Year. Um, and I, I think for us, as, as, if I can say this, as a pastoral resident. <laughs> uh, a, a, as a church, uh, we've gone through a lot of growing pains. You know, We planted two congregations. Uh, seats are filling, uh, sometimes faster than we would like. <laughs> We're not faster than we would like, but faster than we can handle. Um, and there's just been some pains, and maybe you felt the pains, growing pains, and the pains of mistakes made. Um, you know, my encouragement is not to be afraid of what the future holds, even if today feels like pain and regret and disappointment, don't be afraid of what the future holds because the future is certain. If you're in, if, because we're in Christ, the future is certain. And that future is joy with him forever. Uh, what if we were a church family that embraces kind of tough love, right? It's kind of tough love for one another, for our city, because we knew that God could turn the pain into comfort. He could return, He could turn repentance into joy. I think that would be a church that's being transformed by the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the way that you know just what we need. Uh, Sometimes it's pain, sometimes it's joy, sometimes it's just rest. Um, But would you point us to Christ, take our eyes off of ourselves, away from our pride, away from our, our sin, and point us to the hope that we have as you've done here in Isaiah. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.